Before we jump into today's episode of Survivor's Sanctuary, I want to let you know that you can become a supporter of this podcast and help offset some of the costs of bringing this podcast to you each week. You can visit anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary, click on donate, and you can give an amount starting at 99 cents a month and going up to $9.99 a month. If you love the podcast and you want to keep new episodes coming to you, then visit anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary and become a monthly donor today. More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Well, hey there. Welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I'm Kelly, your host for the podcast. And on this episode of Survivor Sanctuary, I want to talk a little bit about spirituality after sexual abuse. Now, for a lot of people who listen to this podcast, I would say the vast majority who listen to this podcast, you have experienced sexual abuse either in a church or some sort of religious institution. So for a lot of us as survivors, our abuse is tied to our experiences in church. So we have people listening to this podcast who are of a lot of different denominations, um, some different religions, people who cannot step in church again after what they experienced abuse-wise, people who still go to church and still uh, practice their faith in a church building. And sometimes those people are fine with it. And sometimes those people will say, yeah, it gives me anxiety to sit through a church service, or there are certain things that are triggering about the church environment. So right off the bat, I want to say that here at Survivor Sanctuary, something that I strive to do and in our community online is accept everyone right where they are and not expect anyone to assimilate to some sort of belief system or denomination or religion that I think is appropriate or that other survivors think is appropriate. That's not what this podcast is for. This podcast exists to expose abuse in the church and to help survivors to heal from the abuse that they've experienced and also to call churches, of course, importantly, to call churches to change so that they can be safe places for survivors. And one of the things that I love about our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group is that there's not judgment. I haven't found that where I've had to like step in and be like, hey, let's all play nice here and not be mean to each other. Like for the most part in our community, from what I've seen, I've found people to be very welcoming and non-judgmental, which I think is super important when people are trying to heal from sexual abuse. But what happens when you can't find the safety that you need within the walls of a church or you get anxiety attacks just thinking about stepping foot in the door or hearing any of the music or smelling any of the smells. Yes, every church has a very distinct smell, and that can be triggering for people. So whether you've chosen to leave the church, you've chosen to stay, or you have left and you're just unable to step foot in the door, 
when the church can't be a safe place for survivors, and so many of them are not, like we, I think the majority of us agree on that here on this podcast, that the vast majority of churches do not feel like safe places for survivors to tell their stories and to heal and to be loved and accepted. But what happens when survivors who can't find community in church go to find community with other survivors or with advocates who speak out on behalf of survivors and they don't find community and love and acceptance there either. So it's something that I've been noticing for a long time and it's something that I've heard other advocates talk about. And I almost hesitate to bring it up on a podcast, not just because I wanna be liked and I don't like being controversial or anything like that. I mean, although of course, those fears are always there. You don't wanna step on toes. You don't wanna upset anybody. Like we all kind of struggle with that. But another reason that I've hesitated to bring this up on the podcast to speak out about it openly and publicly is because, you know, you open yourself up to ridicule and there are places in the survivor community where we're seeing that. And I have had multiple survivors reach out to me recently and share some of their experiences with other survivors or survivor advocates who have silenced them and don't allow their voices to be heard because they are not on the same spiritual journey. And it's just disheartening to me, and it's something that I've noticed, and I'll just be real and be vulnerable. I can't even go on Twitter like 98% of the time. Because in all our advocating, in all our attempts to always say the exact right thing, feel the exact right thing, support people the exact right way, it almost becomes stifling. Like if everybody doesn't think exactly the same way or tweet exactly the same way or advocate exactly the same way, that it's basically like we're just going to attack each other and eat each other alive to try and force some kind of assimilation. And, And maybe that's just my interpretation of it. Maybe that's not what people mean to do, but it happens so much that for me, I've just had to take a step back and say, you know what? I have a group of people that for some reason, want to download my podcast every week and they, and they want to listen and people who have reached out in messages and have let me know that the podcast has helped them in some way. And I have that community of people that I can serve. And that's what I want to do. If you follow me on Twitter at Healing with Kel, you will probably find that I haven't tweeted in a good long while. And that's one of the reasons because I see a lot of survivors attacking other survivors advocates attacking each other, and advocates attacking survivors. And it gets to be a lot, especially when survivors of sexual abuse are often already dealing with things like anxiety related to their childhood trauma, depression related to it, some other forms of mental illness related to having survived sexual abuse. So often we're already struggling. Often we've lost the community of our church. In a lot of cases, for survivors of sexual abuse, they've lost the support of their families. People who were sexually abused by by their dads or their moms or their uncles or aunts or whatever, and then you have this whole family dynamic in there where a lot of people just don't want you to talk about it and they don't want to believe you because to believe you is going to turn their whole world upside down. So you have survivors that are losing community and losing those connections all over the place And they turn to the one place where you would think people know that stifling survivors 
or silencing their voices is the absolute wrong thing to do. And then in that place, they're silenced all over again. We're just doing the silencing for different reasons than non-survivors and non-advocates, if that makes sense. The reality for a lot of people is that if they were sexually abused within the church, or if they suffered some other kind of trauma within the church, they're going to have negative thoughts and feelings and opinions associated with the church. And I'm here to say that I do not have a problem with that. If you've been hurt, if you've been wounded by the evangelical church or whatever kind of church that you're a part of, I don't think there's anything wrong with speaking out about that or having opinions about it. Not at all. So I want to be clear because I know there are so many different kind of people of different denominations and backgrounds on different ends of the deconstruction spectrum. And I want to be clear. I don't think there's anything wrong with the place that you're at spiritually. It's not for me to tell you. I speak out about sexual abuse. I speak out about sexual abuse within the church. I try to help my fellow survivors learn some ways to heal and to find community again. And that's my lane and I'm staying in it. I'm not here to tell you that you need to believe X, Y, Z theology or, you know, there's something wrong with you. I'm not here to tell you that if you don't believe the way I believe, you're going to hell. I'm also not here to tell you That if you believe hell exists, that you are somehow an abuser yourself. This is a lot of what I'm seeing as a lot of us who grew up in evangelical Christianity begin to deconstruct. Deconstruction is kind of trendy right now. I mean, trendy may not seem the word, and I know people might think that I'm mocking it by saying that, and I'm not. I have been deconstructing since way before it was cool. It's simply taking apart What we learned or we were taught about God and faith and religion and spirituality as kids and rebuilding it in a lot of cases. I mean, some people just deconstruct and leave it on the ground in pieces. And if that's where your journey has led you, that's your journey. It's between you and God and it's none of my business. But for me, I started deconstructing years and years ago. I had never heard a person use the word deconstruction ever. And I actually, it was just a very personal thing. Uh, For me, it wasn't like, okay, I've just had a going out of Christianity sale and, and like, it's all over. I don't believe the Bible anymore, this or that. It was more, I grew up in fundamental Christianity, that independent fundamental Baptist, super staunch, super legalistic background. And I had to wade through the mud at some point when I became a young adult because I wasn't under my parents' roof anymore. I wasn't able to just hang on to the coattails of their relationships with God. I had to figure out for myself who God was to me and and what he wanted from me. And I had to figure out for myself what from my childhood that I'd been taught about God was actually true And what parts may have been like man-made that I didn't need to carry with me into adulthood or carry around as burdens for the rest of my life. And I'll give you like a silly example. This is not the extent of my deconstruction, but as Baptists growing up, wearing pants as a woman was so frowned upon. And a lot of pastors and missionaries, like I want to say they didn't allow their wives to wear pants. But for a lot of people, it was also just, you don't do that in these churches. So women just didn't wear them. I also know a lot of Baptists and grew up around them who wore pants and wore shorts 
all the time and their denomination or their particular churches didn't say anything about it. But people would get kind of crazy about it in some of the IFB churches that me and my family went to. Uh, One of them, my parents were missionaries and we were on what's called deputation, which is basically where you drive around to 500 bazillion churches where you know no one and you feel like an idiot and your parents get up and talk about the mission field they're headed to and show some slides and ask people to give money to support us to be missionaries. So we were on deputation and before some of these pastors of the churches we went to would agree to support our family financially to go to Indonesia where we were headed to be missionaries, before they would agree to that, they would have like questionnaires and they would ask my dad this list of questions and inevitably there would always be a question on it like, does your wife wear pants? That kind of garbage was stuff that needed to be deconstructed. I needed to remove that from my faith because it has nothing to do with my relationship with God, whether or not I wear pants or whether or not my mom wore pants or that the men always had their hair cut off of their collars. There was so much legalism that I really had to work through that. And it's scary at first when you start working through these long held beliefs that you've had. So yeah, my faith has been deconstructing in a sense for years and for much longer than it seems like the trend has become recently. I just didn't know what to call deconstruction. There's something else that I think was really ingrained in me from the time I was a small child. And it was always this feeling that you were somehow disappointing God. And I know that In my faith growing up, we learned all the verses and we heard all the people say that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, that nothing we do and none of our works can save us. It's just by God's grace. But then there was so much stuff put on top of it. Like, yes, we're saved by grace, but if you chew tobacco, then you're obviously not right with God. If you have a drink of alcohol, you're obviously not right with God. I remember the first time I had a friend in school and her family was in a different denomination than mine, an amazing, beautiful family. And her dad was a pastor and they had beer in their fridge. And she was like, oh yeah, you know, my dad has a beer every once in a while. And I like, I had literally like an anxiety attack because I, my little brain, okay, it wasn't that little. I was probably like 14, but my brain did not know what to do with that information because my entire life I had been taught that alcohol was the devil. And if somebody drank, it was because they were backsliding. And if somebody drank, it was because their relationship with God wasn't right. Those were the kinds of things that I grew up learning. And sometimes I'll say these to to my dad. I'll be like, you know, I learned X, Y, Z. And he's like, well, we didn't teach you that. And I'm like, well, you might not have overtly taught me this, but these are the things I picked up growing up in independent fundamental Baptist churches. And then my family switched denominations. I've probably mentioned before, they like to hop around to different denominations. We spent time as Baptists, Southern Baptist Charismatics, Assembly of God. Uh, The list goes on and on. I've spent some time in the Nazarene church, both in college and uh, in the last several years. And I found that the Nazarene church is very, very similar to the independent fundamental Baptist church. But the point being, these are the things I picked up growing up. And these are the things that I have struggled with. Now, I remember talking to the pastor of the last church that I joined, and I joined against my better judgment. I had told myself I will never join a church again. But this church didn't make you sign one of those crazy 
like membership covenants that they use to like control you and hold things over your head. It was basically just like, here I'm joining this church, you know, I stand in front of the church and everybody's like, yeah, you're a member. And so it didn't seem that intimidating. However, in the church bylaws of the Nazarene church, like if you read through the bylaws of what Nazarenes believe and how you're supposed to conduct yourself, there is so much about alcohol. And it really bothered me. And I ended up telling the pastor just because I wanted to be honest with him. I'm like, listen, I don't need to drink a glass of wine ever again. If that's a conviction that, you know, I have, or that God gives me, or I feel like I'm somehow breaking some spiritual law by doing it. Um, I said, I know what I'm about to tell you is going to make you think that I want to go out and drink all the time. And that's why I'm saying it. But I told him, I just want to be honest with you that this 972 paragraphs in the Nazarene Church Code of Conduct that talks about alcohol, it really bothers me that we're so focused on that because I don't see a whole lot of paragraphs about like men who beat their wives and children or abuse of any kind. And he actually ended up using this in a sermon later. Um, I guess it had an effect or an impact on him, but I'm like, you know, you're talking about somebody having a drink and we're railing against that and railing against that. But then the man who never drinks goes home and hits his wife or goes home and smacks his kids around and is abusive verbally or physically or mentally or emotionally. Why are we focusing on the fact that people are not allowed to drink and then dancing is a big one for Nazarenes as well, I think. I'm not sure if they're getting away from that a little bit, but um, why are we focusing on those things? Because somebody dancing is not going to send them to hell and somebody having a drink is not going to send them to hell. And I could read the Bible cover to cover 500,000 times. And I don't think I would come to a different conclusion, not because I want to be drunken and debauched and go out and party and like drink till I puke and vomit on the street. That is not it at all. Even as a person who for the vast majority of my life abstained from alcohol, even in my abstinence from alcohol, I felt the same way about it. Once I started to really look at the things that I believed and go back through the Bible and say, you know what, this thing I was taught might not actually be true. It was going to cultures and having people in our churches. My, my dad was a pastor for a long time. We had several people in our churches from Germany, and they would always just cringe about the alcohol teaching. They're like, we drink alcohol from the time we're kids. It's not a thing. Like in Germany, it's not a thing. And so we would hear that from people of different cultures. And it just kind of opened my eyes to like, we've invented a lot of things and added them to our faith as a means. Maybe it's an, an evil means. Maybe somebody meant it for harm, like to control people, to control people in the church and, and keep tabs on what they're doing. Um, or maybe it was something innocent that's just like, hey, alcohol has hurt people and we shouldn't have it in there. But for whatever the reason, those are the things that I've had to strip away from my faith over the years. Things that cause me severe anxiety. I remember if I would find out, and this is, I'm I'm ashamed of this now, and I feel like I need to go back and apologize to like a million people in my life. But I literally felt like, I don't want to say I thought this because I think I knew that it, People could still be saved and have premarital sex, but if they did, I was so sick to my stomach, like to the point where I was going to throw up. I don't know if some of this was a result of having been sexually abused or if it was just a result of the purity teachings in church because purity culture is huge. 
But I honestly felt like if people slept together before they were married, life had ended. <laughs> like the world had come to an end. Ridiculousness. We have Jesus in the Bible who is there with the woman who committed adultery, who was caught in the act, and he's telling her, I don't condemn you. And yet I'm made to feel growing up as though if somebody has relations outside of the marriage bed, that they are basically going to hell in a handbasket and they're beyond redemption. I mean, I didn't literally think that, but the, the visceral reaction that I would have in my body when I would learn that somebody was messing around before marriage or that they may have slipped up or whatever, like... I freaked out about that. And it's something I'm ashamed of now, not because, again, not because I think everybody should just go have orgies everywhere and like sleep with as many people as possible. It's not because I want a license to sin, which I think is what a lot of people think when you start deconstructing your legalism. You just want to go out and sin. You just want to drink and do drugs and you want to be worldly and live like the world. And Okay, I'm not saying that nobody ever just wants that, but for people who are deconstructing, it's really more about stripping away the crap so that we can uncover the truth of who Jesus is, so that we can uncover the truth under all the crap people have covered him up with in religion for our whole lives. We can dig out who God really is and what it is he actually wants in a relationship with us, or what it is our purpose actually is. So that has been huge for me in deconstructing. One thing I have not done is turn my back on my belief in the gospel. I know people who have, and I don't have a problem with people who have. I know that everybody's like deconstruction and stripping away is personal and people arrive at different destinations. And here's the thing. I think that as the saying goes, truth doesn't shrink from inquiry. We should never be afraid of examining our faith because truth is the truth no matter what I believe or you believe or somebody else believes. So I don't have a problem with deconstruction. I just want to say that right off the bat. And I also don't have a problem with people who have stayed in fundamental Baptist churches or evangelical churches, even though I was heard in one. What I have a problem with and what I think is causing a lot of survivors to suffer in silence, because you have to, because if you speak up, you're going to be crushed like a bug, even if it's just with people's words on Twitter or Facebook comments, it's causing people to have to suffer in silence and be silenced all over again. People who we've been silenced from the time we were little kids being abused, silenced by the church, silenced in a lot of cases by our own family members. And then now we reach out to advocates or fellow survivors and we're being silenced again by people who have arrived at a different point in their deconstruction, but are now demanding that every other person be at that point as well. When you hear a lot of people talk about deconstruction, leaving evangelical Christianity, ex-evangelicals, whatever you want to call it, you hear a lot of, well, I realized the church didn't act very much like Jesus, and I don't want a part of it anymore. And I don't have a problem with that because I've seen it with my own eyes. The problem I have is that it seems like people are trading one set of fundamental beliefs for another set of fundamental beliefs. They're turning their backs on a Christianity that turns its nose up or is hateful to members of the LGBTQ plus community 
or looks down upon anyone who votes for the Democratic Party instead of the Republican Party. So they turn their backs on that, but it seems that more and more people are finding this new place where they are still turning their backs on people and looking down on people. They're just looking down on people for a new set of reasons, and they're looking down on a new set of people. And it bothers me to no end because the very thing you say you're leaving Christianity because of, you are leaving and you're taking all of those behaviors with you. You still look down your nose at people. You still are mean and nasty to people on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. You still are a fundamentalist because when you have an opinion about something, nobody is allowed to disagree. I was reading a post um, a few weeks back by someone who I believe has basically become a person that is not safe for survivors to go to because anyone who disagrees with this person is just vilified. They're crucified there on Facebook by this person and all of this person's followers. And it was essentially talking about how Jesus himself was abusive and that his teachings were problematic and so that it was dumb that people believed them anymore. And if that's what this person thinks or believes or that's what their followers think or believe, you know what? Honestly, I'm not going to lose sleep over it because it's not my job to tell everybody how to believe and it's not my job to follow everybody around who's deconstructing and like, okay, you can deconstruct all of this, but don't go off this deep end. You know, but the problem is when this is happening in advocacy, when somebody has touted themselves as an advocate for sexual abuse victims and now those victims are not allowed to to speak out or have thoughts or opinions about anything unless they line up with the exact like new, I don't want to call it theology, anti-theology that this person has come up with, like unless they assimilate, they're looked down on. How is this different from fundamental Christianity? How is it different from the IFB? When I was growing up, if you were not a Baptist, you were wrong, like the end. If you weren't a Baptist, you were wrong, probably weren't getting into heaven. If you were a Baptist and you didn't vote Republican, you actually were really not a Baptist at all. You were probably not even a Christian and you're definitely going to hell. If you were a member of a different denomination that still claimed to believe the gospel, but that wasn't Baptist, like something really problematic, like Lutheran or Presbyterian, Methodist, you were in serious trouble. Like we thought... I honestly, as a kid, they're not really Christians. Like they believe the wrong thing. It took me a long time to get out of that mindset uh, once I was no longer a child. But to escape that mindset and go to a mindset that also has you treating people like they're beneath you if they don't believe exactly the same way that you believe, how is it any different? And I was just thinking this the other night and I posted something about it on my Facebook page. I said, If deconstructing has led us from one set of superior beliefs that makes us feel free to self-righteously mock and shame the other side to a brand new set of superior beliefs that makes us feel free to self-righteously mock and shame the other side, did we actually deconstruct at all? That's kind of how I'm looking at it. As a Baptist growing up, if you did not vote Republican, you were anti-God. If you didn't vote Republican, you wanted babies to be murdered in the streets. Like that was the general consensus. And if you grew up Baptist, I don't think anybody's going to argue with me on that one unless you were in a very different kind of church than I was. You had to be a Republican if you wanted to be Baptist. And I have hated, since I realized how unscriptural it is, 
that we are so overly concerned with politics as Christians. And I just began to just, ugh, I, I hated all of it, the muck that you had to wade through and the elections every four years where the church is involved in things that honestly, a lot of the times I don't think that they should be involved in. So we leave that, but then we're ex-evangelicals and ex-evangelicals seem to be by and large on the very opposite end of the political spectrum. I don't have a problem with anyone being whatever political party they want to be. I'm just stating this because it's the reality. Evangelicals are conservative and ex-evangelicals are liberal. By and large, that's just the way that it is. Again, I don't have any problem with anybody being liberal. The problem that I have is that every single person doesn't assimilate their wrong. If you treat people like that, you are still a fundamentalist. You are still in bondage and you are still trying to put everybody else into bondage as well because you need them and you demand of them that they believe exactly the same that you do about politics, about Jesus, about the church. We have advocates online who not only will openly say that evangelical Christianity just needs to be obliterated from the planet and anybody who stays in it is a horrible human being. Not only that, but anybody who doesn't completely denounce it. Like if anybody is in the middle of the road where the evangelical church is concerned or where politics are concerned, if anybody considers themselves a centrist, those people are vilified as well. If you're a centrist, you're just an evangelical apologist. If you're a centrist and you refuse to choose one side of two very, very, very extremes, then you get called names and picked apart online and treated like crap. And if your deconstruction has led you to the point where you're treating other human beings like pieces of garbage in the way that you talk to them and the way that you think about them and the way that you deal with them in your day-to-day life, If that's what it's led you to, it has led you in a giant circle from where you started off. Opposite sides, exact same coin. Your personal spirituality, your personal beliefs about God and the Bible, your personal politics need to be crammed down everybody's throat and anybody who has a differing opinion needs to be verbally assaulted on Facebook. Please tell me how you are different from the religion that you so wanted to escape that it led you to deconstruction. To me, they're the exact same thing. And I don't want any part of it. I don't want any part of anybody's spirituality or religion or denomination that doesn't follow the second greatest command, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. I guess if you've deconstructed to the point that you don't believe the Bible is real anymore or it's just a compilation of myths or whatever, if you don't believe that the Bible is a thing, you know, it's just some random book that doesn't matter. If you don't believe in any kind of spirituality anymore, I guess loving your neighbor as yourself might not be a thing that you need to worry about. But if your reason for leaving evangelical Christianity is because it was abusive and tyrannical and you were forced to toe this line and dress a certain way and speak a certain way and act a certain way and do this and do that and and follow this set of rules 
And so you deconstructed all your beliefs and you got out of evangelical Christianity and you were like, geez, Louise, I need to advocate for people who are being abused still in evangelical Christianity. But you get to the point where you're just as much of a douche lord as the people in the religion that you left. I don't want any part of that kind of deconstruction. I don't. Again, I don't have a problem with deconstruction at all. I think it's a good thing. I think everybody needs to examine their beliefs. I don't think Jesus is afraid of our deconstruction. I don't think Jesus is afraid when we look into his word and we try to learn the truth or we try to strip away some of the man-made things we've been taught. Deconstruction, not a bad thing. The bad thing I see is we're trading one kind of fundamentalism for another very, very similar kind of fundamentalism. Where if you say or do or believe the wrong thing, you're treated like crap. It's that constant shame. And we grew up with it in evangelical Christianity. Why in the balls would we want to tie ourselves to that again? It's almost like the fact that we grew up in fundamentalism draws us back into it. We have to have this set of rules that everybody has to abide by. We have to constantly be yelling at people for believing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing. We have to constantly be forcing everybody to agree with every single opinion that we have. I honestly think sometimes that that is what fundamentalism has done to so many people. So you leave it, but you don't actually leave it. You just trade one fundamentalism in for another fundamentalism. So when I posted this on Facebook, I actually got some responses that surprised me. I got so many responses from people who were just like, thank you so much for saying this. Thank God somebody has said this out loud. And what I think is telling is that both people I know who are very much still in evangelical Christianity and would never think of deconstructing, I got those people liking and commenting all the way to people who have left the church liking and commenting and thanking me for sharing and then sharing their own experiences as well. And one of those comments, a person said, I've not sensed God's love from any deconstruction group. It's just as toxic as the arrogance I dealt with at church. And that to me kind of hit the nail on the head. It's arrogance. It's the arrogance that says, you have to believe exactly the way that I do. And if you don't, I'm going to come up with a reason why you disagreeing with me makes you a terrible person that's going to hell, except a lot of people who deconstruct no longer believe in hell. So it's just, you are now inhumane or abusive or a bigot or fill in the blank because you don't believe this thing that I have decided is what everybody should believe. Not interested in it, people. Deconstruct. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I love people who are very much evangelicals who are never going to change. And I love people who have deconstructed and have left the church, and some of whom don't believe in the Bible anymore, don't believe in Jesus anymore, have just said, you know what, I've washed my hands and I'm done with it. I love people who are on all places on the spectrum of deconstruction. My problem is not that you're deconstructing or that you're leaving your faith. My problem is the way that you are treating people. And in the survivor community, the problem is the way that you are treating survivors. One person messaged me and she just said, you know, in my process of deconstructing, I found that I still hold true to some things that I was taught. She said that her approach and her attitude is a lot different than what she was raised or how she was taught, but that she still held on to some of her beliefs. And she actually had to step away from advocacy. And the main reason was 
that a lot of survivors and advocates had become just blatantly disrespectful and just super mean that if you still had convictions about faith, if you still had certain beliefs, there was no room to share your thoughts. There was no room to dissent. In many ways, she felt like she was just being silenced all over again. And she shared with me, like, it, it was really emotional. Like, we had an emotional conversation. Uh, just the, the tears that she's cried and the sadness that she's felt and the things that she's gone through, coming to the decision where she's just like, yo, <laughs> I have to leave advocacy because I can't handle this anymore. It's not good for my mental health. And honestly, there are other survivors and advocates who feel the same way. But it's kind of this thing where you feel like you need to hold it all in because you know the wrath that is to come if you open your mouth. Is that what we want to do with our lives? Is that how we want to treat people? Like, whatever you think about God, whatever you think about the Bible, whatever you think about evangelical Christianity, and there's always an excuse, and I'm going to put this in here, there's always an excuse. As a Baptist, if I would try to argue with somebody, hey, it's really not fair. And this was while I voted Republican. For I spent years of my life voting Republican because that was what you did as a Baptist. But when I started to realize that politics should not be such a focus of the Christian church, I would argue with people like, hey, I'm a Republican or whatever, but why do we act like people who aren't Republicans aren't really Christians? How is that a thing? Like, how... How is that the way that we're being? Like, I would argue for the opposite side, and the opposite side being just the side that I didn't vote with. And the answer always came down to something that I felt like was a lazy argument, just a conversation ender. It was always abortion. And I'm not saying anything about what I think or believe about abortion. Like, that's not the point of this. The point is that was always the argument ender. Like, well, here's why you're not allowed to be a Democrat, because the Bible says we can't kill babies. And if you're a Democrat, you're voting for killing babies. So you have to be a Republican. And that was always the conversation ender. Why you could not be a Democrat and still be a Christian. You could not be a Democrat and still care about the unborn. That was the evangelical argument every single time. And it still is in a lot of cases. I'm not telling you whether I think it's right or wrong or what. Again, I'm not here to share my opinion or my views about abortion. That's not the point. The point is this conversation ender. This belief that trumps, no pun intended, any other argument you would have for voting a different way. Well, lo and behold, we've quit evangelicalism. And now we're all ex-evangelicals. And now the argument is that if you don't vote Democrat, you don't care at all about social justice, or you want to cage immigrant children, or you want to X, Y, Z, just fill in the blank. Again, don't care if you're a Democrat, don't care if you're Republican, not here to argue about politics. I'm just saying that both sides are doing the exact same thing, putting people in bondage to this set of rules and this way you have to be and this way you have to conform. And if you don't do it, you're out of here. It sucks, people. It sucks. And if we complain that it sucks or if we say the answer lays somewhere in the middle, we are horrible people who are vilified. And that's what I'm tired of. I'm tired of survivors coming to me and being like, 
I'm scared to say anything on Facebook. I'm scared that I can't say I still believe in Jesus. Like I'm scared that even though I'm a survivor, I still go to an evangelical church and and people like I went to this conference and every single person acted like we all had these super, super liberal beliefs. And I just felt really out of place and like I couldn't be myself because we're doing the exact same thing that we did when we were fundamental Baptists. We're just fundamental ex-Baptists now. And I just wanted to say, because I've decided that it needs to be said, and I can't be scared of the backlash. Be mad at me if you want. Tell on me to everybody that you know who disagrees with what I'm saying right now. Your new fundamentalism sucks just as bad as your old fundamentalism. You are the evangelical when you treat people the way that you're treating people because you're so much more enlightened than everybody on earth and you've read more books and you know more things. And so you look down your nose at people and treat them like garbage. You're wrong. Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't care what denomination you are, what religion you are. All human beings, even human beings that you think are wrong, deserve to be treated with respect. You know, I've mentioned that all kinds of people listen to Survivor Sanctuary. All kinds of amazing people listen to this podcast. And I talk to people all the time who are in so many different places spiritually. And guess what? If somebody says something to me that I don't necessarily agree with, I'm just like, hmm, they said something I don't agree with. Oh, well, I'm not them. Doesn't matter. And I go about the business of advocating for the abused. I go about the business of trying to welcome survivors. I go about the business of trying to be there for people who have already gone through so much and don't need judgment for anything else. That is what advocacy should be. If your advocacy has led you to be mean and cruel to survivors, you should probably not be doing it. I want to end just by saying that this is not just like a plug, like, oh, I want tons of people to like the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group or join our group um, on Facebook. It literally does nothing for me. Like, I don't get pay per click or anything like that. But I really do want to say that if you're looking for a safe community where you can actually talk about what you think and people are going to treat you with respect and, and love, even if they don't agree with where you're at spiritually, you can find that in our group. We've, we've had that so far, and I greatly appreciate the people in the group just being respectful of one another because I know a lot of you, if we haven't met in person, then we've talked online. We've either uh, talked on the phone or we've messaged back and forth or I've had you on the podcast. And We've got people from all walks of life, but we have one thing in common, that we were either sexually abused or we care about somebody who was and we want to make a difference. We're not going to make a difference when we're at each other's throats and fighting over who believes what. Again, I am not here to police a survivor's spiritual journey. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I just don't want to do it. Like I'm not going to do it. I don't have time for that. Not interested. What I'm here to do is to share with you experiences, is to share other people's stories, is to offer a place where you can feel loved and you can feel accepted. And you don't have to do anything to earn that. There's not a line that you need to toe. The only thing I ask in the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group is that we treat each other with kindness. You know, 
anybody starts being mean, yeah, I, I have no problem respectfully removing that person's comments, but it hasn't happened. And we've got a great group of people. And if you need a safe place to be able to just share about that, then share in the group. And if you feel like you don't want to share your spiritual beliefs because you don't want to step on toes, I, I totally understand that. Like, you're always welcome to share with me. You can message me through the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group, or you can send an email anytime to Kelly at SurvivorSanctuary.com. And I would be happy to chat with you about spirituality, about whatever it is that you'd like to get off your chest. You are not going to find judgment here. And I don't believe that it's possible to heal while you're being judged. I don't think it's possible for you to be a good advocate while you are judging. You don't have to think like I think. You don't have to believe like I believe. You can think I'm a raving idiot if you want to think that. It's fine. If you need support and you need love and you need help as you heal from sexual abuse or as you try to advocate so that churches can change and be places where survivors are welcome, this is the place to be. Nobody has all the answers. And if you traded your conservative fundamentals for progressive or liberal fundamentals, unfortunately, you're stuck in the same rut. Well, thanks for listening to this very long episode of Survivor Sanctuary. Again, you can check us out on Facebook. Just search Survivor Sanctuary Podcast, request to join, and I will add you to the group. I'll catch you next time on another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.